Hello, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, here with fellow Regional Master Instructor and dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's it going today? I'm doing great, Marty. How are you? Great. Looking forward to this week's topic. It's one of those things I think that are near and dear to our heart. Like <laughs> if the foot and ankle isn't working, it's hard for the rest of the kinetic chain to work. So this is why we chose to dig in a little deeper here. Yes, and, and want to say thank you again to our Facebook page, as well as some of the emails that Marty and I receive each week. And we're going back to the roots of program design for, you know, we'll, we'll do some sprinkled in throughout the next few webinars, um, starting with the foot and ankle, because there's still a little bit of confusion on how do you design a program with one specific impairment and then, you know, blend it into a phase one workout. And so that's why we wanted to to bring this back up this week, um, foot and ankle, like you said, Marty, when when it doesn't work, it really can affect the entire kinetic chain. So I'm really excited about today's topic for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into our stories as the conversation goes, but both of us have seen people with upper extremity issues that we could tie back to foot and ankle. So I know that it's easy to see how foot and ankle could correlate to knee and or hip, maybe low back, but it truly, when you're in especially nowadays with the push towards more high intensity and functional training and running and jumping, man, oh man, if, uh, if the foot and ankle aren't working well, there's going to be uh, potential problems. Well, my favorite is with my clients, you know, with me having the manual therapy license that I have, um, before we even get started, I do some manual work and then I, I put them into their workout for the day. And first thing I do is I have them lay on their back. So they're in a supine position and I look at their hips and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like it's in my shoulder. So I look at their hips just to see kind of what's going on at the ASIS because that can tell me a lot. And then I go look at the foot and ankle and do a comparison for leg length discrepancies. And they're like, no, no, I, I really am having some pain in my shoulder. I'm like, I gotcha, but we're gonna start here and you just have to put, you know, trust me that, uh, that it, it really does work its way up. And so I could just work on your shoulder but I really may not be helping you long-term because it can start in the ankle and the facial expressions I get are second to none. They're like, you have, are, are you sure about this? I'm like, you know what? I've been doing this for a really long time. I feel really confident in my decision of where I'm starting first. Yeah. <laughs> People like to chase pain, unfortunately. And yes. as an athletic trainer, I've had athletes come in, same thing or clients now. And, you know, they're like, this hurts. And, you know, you've heard me say this before, Wendy, and I'm sure you use very similar analogies. You know, are you going to go after the robber or the victim, right? So dysfunction, there may be no pain in the region that's dysfunctional, but everyone wants to focus on the area that that dysfunction is causing pain. In. And sometimes, yet, not saying you don't want to treat the pain. And here in, in fitness, you and I both have a different license, so we're not here to treat pain. But as you communicate with your clients, pain refer out discomfort, work on their movement uh, assessments and go to what the findings show you. And sometimes that mild discomfort immediately goes away because you're getting them to move well from different segments of the body. Absolutely. Well, and that's actually what we're going to talk about. So when we look at, you know, all in all today, we're going to talk about foot and ankle. And so we're not only going to talk about the um, the feet externally rotating or turning out, which is very, very common, but you also want to see what's happening at the arch of the foot because you know most times, well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of times you're going to see people that have their feet turn out and if they have their knees caving in as well, if you check out the arch, most of the time the arch is also falling is you know too. So really all of these 
assessments can really blend in. And when one thing's happening, you want to start to really identify or at least take a, a look, a specific glance at, at the arch of the foot. And, you know, that's what we're going to talk about. So if you do see either of these compensations or both, today is your day because Marty and I are going to talk about not only the dysfunction through different types of assessments, but also we are going to give you a um, specific program that we designed that will help with these both of these compensations, um, still keeping it within phase one. So if you don't have your corrective exercise, um, I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite specializations that NASM has done, but we're, you know, you're not gonna be lost today because we are going to do a blend for you. And if this is something that your clients, you're noticing your clients have, then hopefully um, you guys can print out uh, or take a screenshot, if you will, of the program that we designed, because I think you, you'll find it very, very beneficial. Absolutely. And again, reassess every four to six weeks, but every set, every rep, every exercise is a reassessment in a way. Absolutely. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. You're guessing. <laughs> well, that'll kind of bring us into, and I know some of this may be a review, but you know, the overhead squat assessment can tell you so much about a person. You can find out not only why they came to see you, but you know, somebody may say, I feel great, but I want to get in better shape. But you know, when you look at their assessment, you're like, how are you not in any kind of discomfort whatsoever? Because you'll notice feet are out, maybe arches are falling in, knees cave in, low back arch, arms fall forward, forward head. I mean, it's kind of like a train wreck, but it's very, very common that you see multiple. So again, we're, we're just kind of really focusing today on the foot and ankle. But you know, when you're doing the overhead squat, you want to make sure, once again, that you set them up in the five kinetic chain checkpoints because you have to have a starting point. So have your clients, number one, remove their shoes. You as a trainer, I think it's very, very important that you set the client up exactly how you want them to be. Because again, you may say, hey, make sure your feet are pointed straight and they're not looking down and they're completely out to the side. And to them, that feels straight. So I usually start teaching them my cueing at that point when I'm actually doing the assessment. Like, hey, I want you to think of, you know, skis and I want them to be pointed straight ahead. Yours are slightly going out and imagine how awful that would be if you're going down, a, a, you know, some kind of slope. So feet pointed straight ahead, kind of show them what you mean about the arch of the foot, make sure they have good alignment in their foot and ankle. You also want to make sure too at that point that they're, you know, from a lateral view that the ankle, the knee, the hip, the shoulder and their head are in good position. So when they raise their arms overhead, you're gonna take the bend out of the elbow and you're just going to have them squat. Most of the time, you're gonna have them squat from you know looking at them from an anterior view about five repetitions. Same thing from the lateral view. And then I still look at the posterior view because in, in a way, and you're gonna see what we're talking about in future slides. If you look from a posterior view, you're starting to really look at the Achilles tendon and the Achilles tendon should be straight with the calcaneus, so your heel bone. And if you notice that there's kind of an art, like almost like a C type or kind of a bend, then that's letting you know that they're probably falling in of the arch of their foot. And so you're going to want to note that in your assessment process. So therefore, it can be even more specific and individualized when you're designing the program. Yeah, great recap there, Wendy. And for those of you just joining us right now, Marty Miller here with Wendy Batts, uh, two of your regional master instructors, and we are discussing foot and ankle complex and the impairments that you'll see. It's such an important part of the body, as we were talking about earlier, that what you see happens at the foot and ankle will definitely resonate through the rest of the body. So it's key to understand how your client's foot and ankle is performing 
regardless whether they have what they think is dysfunction or not, it's key just to understand, are they in the right position? Is their foot and ankle biomechanically doing the right thing? So that way, as you get into the different levels of exercising, you know they're ready to handle all the different requirements to go from stabilization endurance to strength endurance, potentially all the way up to power. Absolutely. And there are different different assessments, and we're going to talk about that. So therefore, if you want to dive a little bit deeper, we're going to show, especially if you're not sure about what you're seeing in the overhead squat, you know that it's safe for them to move forward, maybe with more um, specific uh, assessments as we move forward into the next slide, you're going to see some of the other types of assessments. So when we talk about overhead squat, we're talking about transitional movement. But then you also want to think, too, if you do have your CES background and you've taken your specialization or, or are currently going through the material, mobility assessments can tell you a ton of information. And so one of the ones that or multiple ones that Marty and I use, especially to identify what's happening throughout the kinetic chain is the overhead squat number one. But then if you actually do a modified overhead squat with the feet elevated, it can allow you to see what's happening um, at that ankle. Because if you put your foot on like a two by four and you have the heel like just on that area and their feet planted on the floor and you put them back into the five kinetic chain checkpoints we just talked about and then had them repeat the assessment. And you notice that all of a sudden their knees cleaned up, that if they had an asymmetrical shift, that maybe that cleaned up a little bit or the compensations itself, they, they look like they're squatting a ton better and they feel better squatting it or squat, they feel better when they're squatting, excuse me, then you're going to be able to, to say, you know what, really the ankle is causing some of these other compensations that were noted by allowing, you know, with that elevation and that elevation, the reason why we're, we're, we're doing this is because it lets us see with additional dorsiflexion, you know, we're giving them that, if they had that originally, then what do they look like during movement? So we're going to talk about, you know, the um, including the modified overhead squat. We're going to talk about what you'll see during the single leg squat. The split squat is a new mobility assessment that we've added into the, the CES this past launch. And so we'll talk a little bit about that and what you may see. And then, of course, when we talk about mobility assessments, if you're not um, familiar with those yet, but you've gone through our CES in the past, we'll talk about obviously using a goniometer. I still use a goniometer today. I'll probably use it until the day that I die because when we start talking even more in detail about it, if they end up having compensations during movement, but then you really look at the joint, but they have good full available range of motion, then you know that it's more of a weakness. Okay. This is important. It's more of a weakness than it is the overactivity that's causing that compensation. So that's one of the things when you're really trying to be very, very specific in your programming, that that information is great to know. So maybe don't just stop or, you know, don't just stop at the overhead squat. If you know some of these other assessments, then you can be even more pinpoint to help them quickly um, get better range of motion and movement throughout, you know, their squatting process as well as daily activities. Yeah. And there, it, when we list it out like this, it seems like there's a lot to do. And you're like, my client just wants to work out. When you get the handle on how to integrate these, how to communicate them, how to blend them in, if somebody isn't ready for a full assessment, it really does not take long. But we wanted to show the exact kind of like breadcrumb trails, we would call it is 
start here, go to here, go to here, see this, do this, just because there is a full process that has been researched and it's an evidence-based approach, as you would all know here with NASM. But again, when we do our corrective exercise workshops, either virtually or if we get back live, we talk about how to you know, blend things in because again, we're going to teach you in a perfect world scenario as if somebody comes in and they're okay with a full assessment. But these are the skills and the abilities to do certain tests at certain times for you to really dig in and be able to create the best program. Absolutely. Great point. All right. So let's move on. So, you know, again, when we talk about, quote, this bread uh, crumb and like all we, we say is, you know, here's like Marty said, here's where we're starting. This is where we're headed. Um, you know, the overhead squat, you're looking at them from the anterior view and the lateral view. And then there's just a lateral view of what it looks like with the feet elevated. And so, again, it's allowing you to see with that, you know, with that rise and giving them the extra dorsiflexion, how they move. Now, if their ankles are overacted, or I mean, uh, kind of locked up and restricted, if you will, then what you're going to notice maybe not only with the feet turning out, but from a lateral view with them with their feet on the floor, then you're going to notice maybe that they have an excessive forward lean. And so if you elevate the feet, can they keep their feet straight? And then what, from a lateral view, do you notice perpendicular lines or parallel lines? Excuse me. I don't know what's happening with me today, but parallel lines. And again, that's ideally what we're looking for, because just to reiterate what we've said multiple times, the reason NASM wants you to have those um, parallel lines is because that means you've got good um, or uh, distribution between the ankles, the knees and the hips. And so when you have that and you've just elevated their heels, it will allow you to really dive deeper into what we're going to talk about next when we get into the different assessments. Yeah. And don't be surprised when people feel better when they squat with their heels up. That's a question I'll ask is, do you just even feel better with this? And the answer is yes. Doesn't mean that I allow them to squat like this when they start getting back into their exercising, but it is an indication of a, lot, a couple other things too, what goes on with the core and it allows their hips to sit back. But we get that question a lot. Well, if it, if it makes them move better, should I have them squat like this? No, we should start cleaning it up so they can eventually squat without their heels elevated. Yeah. And there's other exercises that we talk right. about that instead of rising the, um, the, the heels, I mean, yes, that would clean up their movement if there's restriction in the ankle complex. Like, but to your point, you're not going to walk around with your heels elevated unless you're wearing high heel shoes, which is like what's commonly happening in, uh, with the foot and ankle. A lot of the, the high heel shoes that, that women are wearing, even if it's a low high heel, anything with elevation, men's dress shoes can cause um, that. And even some tennis shoes that have elevation in the, in the, the heel um, can lead to that. Because if you're in those shoes for multiple hours in the day, then those, those muscles that's what they know. So as soon as you take those shoes off, they don't have that elevation, right? So their feet turn out because they don't have the range of motion needed in order to keep those feet straight comfortably. And so that's why sometimes people aren't even aware that they're doing that. And as trainers, I think it's important to say, hey, check yourself throughout the day. If your feet are turning out, straighten them because you're having to reprogram your brain to say, oh my goodness, like my feet are out, I need to straighten them. My feet are out, I need to straighten them because it is going to be something they have to work on themselves because you want to be that that voice in their head Marty. <laughs> I, I mean, hear that all the time. <laughs> the annoyance in there. <laughs> yeah. So as Wendy and I get moving forward, those that are just joining in, we are discussing foot and ankle impairments today, the corrective strategies, the process to assess, 
as well as we are going to provide a little case study here at the end. So thank you all for joining in. This is a key part of what we do in the fitness industry is keep people moving better. And a lot of it starts at the foot and ankle. It does. Okay. So you've done your overhead squat. You just did the, the squat with the heels elevated. And maybe you noticed that they cleaned up, you know, meaning they felt better. They may have gotten lower. Well, if you felt like it was safe, meaning that their, their feet may have turned out, but it doesn't seem like there's anything that would cause concern. If you tried to do a single leg squat assessment, then at that point, that go ahead and put your client into this next assessment. The single leg squat, again, you're going to put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoints. Their hands stay on their hips because, again, if their hands are out in front or out to the side, sometimes that will help with their balance. Or if their hands are forward, they you're not really getting a good evaluation of their core strength and what's happening in the torso. So that takes everything out of play by just doing that. But then you're also going to see if their foot is straight and planted, what's happening at the hip and knee. And, you know, if there's restriction at the ankle, they're not going to be able to go down as far. They're probably going to lose their balance. There's going to be internal rotation probably within the torso to keep their balance. And so it's just kind of a, a, an assurance that you're on the right track, even though pretty much with the foot elevated, that can tell you a lot. But again, that's going to be up to you on the safety of, of whether your client should or shouldn't do the single leg squat. And, and I personally do this um, with most of my clients, as long as I know it's safe for them. Right. And Wendy, just as you mentioned on the overhead squat, and we have a great picture here, shoes off. It's shocking that a lot of times people, <laughs> that's the one thing they forget, right? So again, do this with uh, just like the overhead squat and the modified no shoes. Yeah. And, and guys, the reason we say that is because not only are, like I said before, with the, the heels elevated in some of the shoes, but there's so much arch support and different brands of the shoes that if they have that arch support, you may not really be able to identify truly what's going on with the, with the kinetic chain because there are kind of band-aids there to assist them. That's why those arches, you know, are, are in the shoe, you know, the support is in the shoe and the same thing people will always ask, well, what if they were orthotics? Well, if they were orthotics, then it's probably because they have weakness in the arch. And that's my job to help strengthen them. And if they say, well, I'm flat footed, you know, a lot of people aren't truly flat footed. And Marty and I have talked about this in previous webinars that, I mean, there are people that are born without an arch of their foot. But if you do not have them weighted and you see that they truly have a flat foot, then and again, it's not as common as you may think. It's just when they stand, that arch then disappears that means there's weakness and that one weakness in the arch can cause a lot of compensations of the kinetic chain, but it's also something that we can work on strengthening to help them get rid of those orthotics long-term as well as maybe reduce the amount of support that they have to have in their shoes in order to feel better throughout the day. Yeah. I was a perfect example of this. When I was a young child starting to get into sports, I was given orthotics and diagnosed with flat feet and I wore orthotics for 10 years until I got to college and started studying sports medicine. My arch non-weight bearing is it's perfect. And when you really watch me weight bear, I don't, my foot doesn't flatten. I evert. So my calcaneus went lower to the ground. So this was, you know, I don't remember what type of physician, you know, or professional was the one that diagnosed me 15 years earlier they're like, oh, he's got flat feet because they saw my arch lower, but it never flattened. So I wasted 15 years 
walking around with orthotics and not doing a corrective strategy. And I get that people didn't understand that, but I was a perfect example of, I was just everting and yeah, the, the orthotic would stop me from everting, but it never solved the problem because I didn't have flat feet. Right. Until you take your shoes off and wear like flip-flops or just walk around your shoe, you know, your house with no shoes. So yeah, that's mean, a big one in my family. No it's shoes just, when you get in. I just divert, you know what I mean? So it looks like my arch is lowering, but it's I'm still working on it. There you go. It's always a work in progress, Marty. <laughs> and those of you guys that are joining Marty and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about the foot and ankle. Specifically, um, if you see the feet turn out or the arches fall forward, what can we do to help identify to make sure that we're on the right track to, to be able to design a very specific program to help individuals that have these two compensations? And so far, we've talked about the overhead squat. We've talked about the feet elevated, the single leg squat. Um, assessment that you can do. So those are all very, you know, transitional, meaning movement. Um, and so now we're going to actually get into a little bit of the mobility assessments that you can kind of take a step further um, and what you can do to design a program, like I said, whether it's for overactivity, underactivity, or even both. Perfect. All right. So let's move on. So I can cover this one money if you want. So when we look at mobility, it, again, this is some of the newer content that we put into the CES a little while ago. It's phenomenal. And we go in depth on any of our workshops that we do is when you see people and Wendy did a great job at the beginning, explaining this. So I'll just touch on it quickly is when you see somebody have a movement compensation, when you look at the corrective exercise spectrum, you have the one side where a muscle could be overactive, where we inhibit and lengthen. You have the other side of the spectrum where a muscle could be allowing a bad motion or a faulty movement pattern because it's in weak. So you activate and integrate. So how do you know which one to do? So the mobility assessments allow you to break down joint by joint. Is it overactivity where you need to maybe spend a little more time on the inhibit and lengthen, or is it underactivity where if they pass their mobility assessments, there's a weakness. Now, sometimes you'll see both and that's fine. So here with the foot and ankle, the what, what you see here is this um, weight bearing um, knee flexion where they, you know, try to touch the wall. You start with your forward foot two inches away from the wall, not a lot of distance. You have the, your back leg nice and straight, your back leg, your foot straight. Obviously, we always want your pelvis in a neutral position. And all you do in this weight bearing lunge is on that front leg, keeping the heel straight, not letting it turn out, not letting the arch fall. You're just seeing if they can accept weight onto that front knee and can they get their knee to touch the wall? It's that simple. It's pass fail. If they have to arch their back, if they have to spin either of their feet out to do it, if their arch falls inward to get their knee to the wall, it's a fail. That means they're restricted from a muscular standpoint. So they need that inhibit and lengthen. If they had a bad move, a poor movement assessment and they pass this, you could really start to focus on, is it the anterior, posterior tib, medial gastroc that are weak? And that's why you saw it in their movement assessment. And if I'm going to pinpoint this, I'm going to say she's a big fat fail. Right. You want to know. I knew you would, but remember, you didn't <laughs> take these pictures. And I know that they have this image in the book. Um, okay. We do use wonderful models throughout um, all, of our, uh, <laughs> all of our textbooks, as well as in our videos. But guys, the reason I say that is because look at her back foot. Her back foot is externally rotated. And then when she lunges forward, that foot still is externally rotated and she has an arch in her back. 
And so what ends up happening is remember your body's going to pull from whatever it possibly can in order to quote, get the end results that the trainer is asking them to do. And so ideally both feet would stay straight. So even though her test leg, if you will, looks fantastic, her arches up, her knees touching, you know, she still looks like she's, you know, upright and it's not a struggle. She's getting probably a little bit more because again, two inches isn't a lot. So she's getting a little bit more by externally rotating and turning the hip a little bit to get that forward motion. And so if you were to do this, um, I always say practice on yourself. If it's if the back heel comes up, the foot turns out, the knee bends at all, there some other compensations happen throughout the kinetic chain, then it's a fail. And all that means is, and you don't say, oh, you failed that to your client because you again, you never want to use negative, <laughs> negative feedback, but you're going to say, okay, great. Now let's do the other side. And in your mind, you're saying, okay, she failed the left side and who knows what's happening on the right, but she failed her left side. So therefore on the programming side, you're going to really spend a lot of time on the overactive muscles, which we're going to discuss here in a few minutes, the overactive muscles that cause not only the feet turning out in the overhead squat, but then also what caused her to fail in the mobility assessment. Yep. I didn't well, know if you thought the same thing with that, Marty, but <laughs> I, I saw it and I was waiting for you to come in with the big fat fail. Yes. I don't do it as well with the big fat fail. So I figured. Yeah. But, you know, too, if you guys haven't um, really looked at the new uh, mobility assessments, and Marty and I talked about this when we were talking about the newer content. We did that because a lot of people were still unfamiliar using a goniometer, which is like the human protractor that you'll see in, in the image. And if you haven't taken courses or you're not familiar with it, then the mobility assessments of setting a client up and doing that lunge forward or, or you know, the different mobility assessments we'll talk about in the future as we do these. Um, if, if you want to do those, they take two seconds to do. You literally just have them try to touch their knee to the wall. Can they do it? Yes or no. Do the other side and you're done. And that's actually giving you some, um, giving you a little bit more information about the, the client and what you're finding. If you are not familiar with that, but you know how to use a goniometer, you still love your goniometer, which I do. Then if you were to put them on a table, you actually bring them into subtalar neutral so neutral position in the ankle and then you have them dorsiflex or you help them dorsiflex and tell them to hold it then you're going to take the goniometer and measure an ideal measurement is 20 degrees now most people are very restricted in the ankle joint however not all that's why the mobility assessment can tell you yay or nay and why the goniometer can give you specific feedback but that again is another tool i wouldn't say do the mobility and the goniometer because you'll have kind of the same output but if you're more familiar and comfortable using one or the other, both, I think, are very important to know. But then use the one that you're the most comfortable with when when you're thinking about designing the program. Perfect. Well said. Thanks, man. All right. So um, when we look at the assessment, the key thing, and Wendy, you, you always mention this, and it's a great reminder, is use the solution table for help. There's nothing wrong with walking around with your clipboard, having the solution table underneath, right? You know, if we go to a medical professional and they have to reference something, we would never think twice about it. We would hope they'd reference things. So same thing, that solution table will always lay things out for you. And it's a great way. The more you visualize it, the more you look at it, you're going to start to see the patterning of it on how certain muscles are participating in multiple movement dysfunction. 
So when you look at the feet turnout, your overactive will be your soleus, lateral gastroc. Sometimes you see that as the calf complex, the bicep femoris, the hamstring muscles, the short head is the one that does this. That's the one that causes that lateral or external rotation of the lower leg. And then TFL, one of the muscles in your hip flexor complex, your tensor fasciolata with the foot on the ground can cause that external rotation. It could be all of these, some of these, but that's why, again, we have the different mobility assessments. Absolutely. And remember, if you see overactivity, these are going to be the muscles that you're going to want to foam roll and statically stretch. So if we have overactive muscles, that means on the other side, we're going to have some underactive muscles. So when we look at the underactive muscles, it's going to be, think about, you know, what would allow those compensations. So if we go to the next slide here, we've got them listed out for you. So you're going to see now, instead of the lateral gastroc, it's going to be the inside of the calf. So the medial gastroc will be weaker the medial hamstring, because as Marty, you know, just said that more of the lateral side of the hamstring is going to allow that the medial, I mean, I'm sorry, cause that the medial side of the hamstring would allow it, you know, shockingly enough, the glutes are going to be weak. You know, that's something that we see all the time. And then, the, you know, if we're going to go down to the nitty gritty, you don't want to go ahead and think about the gracilis and the popliteus as well. And if these terms are not something you're familiar with. That's why we have the CES. And that's why we do our CES workshops. Uh, we've been doing them virtually uh, through the pandemic. And we that's where we dig in deeper on these type of things. Yes. But use that solutions table, y'all. That's what it's there for. Help us help you. Without a doubt. <laughs> right, so we'll move forward here. So when you look at, again, the solutions table, the foot flattens, this is a true foot flattens where they have an arch and weight bearing the uh, arch goes away. The perineals, the outer side, the lateral side of the calf complex, lateral gastroc, once again, shockingly, the bicep femoris short head, and then once again, the tensor fasciolata, even in the hip, can cause this. So you're going to, again, as I said, you'll start to see a pattern of muscles that tend to be overactive and muscles that tend to be underactive. Yes. And then of course, where there's overactivity, there is underactivity. So if we go to the next slide, I know. And, you know, we've got this image here on both of the slides because, you know, we wanted to show you when we talk about the foot flattening, what that truly looks like. Supination is obviously the opposite of that, where you've got an extremely high arch or where they're, they're going the other direction. We don't spend a lot of time designing programs for that because it's very, very uncommon. And if you're not sure, that's when you can truly do an, a single leg squat assessment to see, does that still hold true when they're on one leg? And if, you, if this is what you see, you just reverse engineer what we're showing you. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's look at the underactive muscles here. We've got the anterior tibialis as well as the posterior tibialis, the medial gastroc. Oh, there's a repeat, shockingly enough. Um, and then the glute medius. Right. So this is where, again, knowing these muscles, knowing how to target them from the inhibit, lengthen, or the activate, integrate will really help you with your program design. Yes. And if you guys are just joining Marty Miller and I on the Master Instructor Roundtable this week, we're really trying to break up the foot and ankle um, impairments. We know what is basically, what are common compensations that you're going to see, which is the feet turn out and the arches may fall for or fall in or cave in um, to make kind of more of a flat foot appearance. We've talked about doing all the different types of assessments that we would do just to confirm um, what we're seeing and then helping us identify the muscles to kind of work on specifically if this impairment is, exists with our clients as well as hopefully yours as well. All right, moving on. All right. So this is just when you put the slide together, just kind of, again, more the anatomy of visualization mm -hmm. of what we just kind of went through and talked about. 
a lot of times we get asked, do I need to know the origin and insertion and the nerves? No, those are nice to know, but you have to know what the muscle does. So when you see a movement pattern, you know what muscles are primarily responsible for creating that either normal movement pattern or the faulty movement pattern. So if you're new to this, uh, Wendy and I, we might start you know, babbling off origin insertion. That's, that's great to know. We have to know it from a manual standpoint where we put our hands into somebody, we can find the anatomical features and really target that. That is not needed for personal training. What you do need to know is the names of the muscles, what they're responsible to do, and if they're overactive, what they will do, or if they're underactive, what they will allow the body to do. That is where you really need to start. So that way you can create a program and watch the person's form and technique to make sure that they're ideally targeting the right muscles to create the right movement patterns to fix their movement compensations and get them moving as much as you can towards that ideal kinetic chain checkpoint, um, depending on any type of movement that you're doing. Nice to said, Marty. Thank you. All right, so let's look at this program. So we've got James Smith here again. He's a weight loss client, but he did have foot and ankle impairments. And so when I say that, let's imagine that his feet turned in. I mean, we could actually have him do you know both compensations because again, there's a lot of commonalities that we saw with the overactivity and underactivity of both of the compensations. And so from a self myofascial technique, remember what we're trying to do there is down regulate the overactivity of certain muscles. So as you look through this, if you want to go back, think about the muscles that we just talked about being overactive. Those are what were just inserted there to femoral, and then again, statically stretch. And so what we're trying to do is gain length back into the overactive muscle to work on proper link tension relationship of the joint. And then if you want to do dynamic stretch, that's where one of, I, one of my favorites for this is the inchworm where you're having to really kind of go down and then back and try to work a little bit through um, uh, the newfound length that you're gaining um, and try to get some activation in there as well, working through that joint. But then, you know, after you've warmed up, then you've got to think of your, and I say warm up, after you've gotten some flexibility in the overactive complexes, then it's important to think about the weaker side. So where we had everything listed as underactive, what would be prime or good movements to help activate those muscles that were shown to be weak? And so doing cap raises with the toes slightly turned in really emphasizes the medial gastroc. So again, the lateral is what's having that, that foot turn out. That lateral gastroc is highly responsible for that as well as, as the tia, I mean, uh, the short head of the bicep femoris. So if we're going to spend time working on that above, then we need to think about what we can do to activate the inside or the opposing side of that. So calf raises with toes in, you know, thinking about the tempo. So using a four, two, one tempo up for one, holding at the top for two and slowly coming out of that for four seconds and repeating, I think is one of the a really good exercise for that. And then doing the anterior tibialis. Now, if you were a student of mine and you wrote anterior tibialis, you would get points off because that's the name of a muscle. But as you can see in the notes, use it a cable or use a band, utilizing that to try to get activation in the shin area, if you will, because again, oh yeah, I was like, it does say cable or tubing, right? <laughs> um, because you, you need to actually identify how are you going to strengthen that? And that therefore too, if I wrote this program and gave it to you, you knew exactly what I was trying to do. 
And then, of course, after you did your anterior tip, those are very specific, more of a kind of CES individualized process. Then you could go into the floor bridge and you could do a ball bridge, floor bridge, but the same thing. We're really trying to activate again the glutes, which were shown to be underactive and they're underactive in a majority of the compensations that you're going to see in your clients. So to me, doing any type of bridge is always um, a benefit. Um, and then at that point, as soon as they've done that, we would go into either we could, oh, we didn't write any single leg stuff, but I would do maybe a single leg balance with reach because again, you're working on arch alignment. You're working on trying to maintain proper positioning of the foot and ankle complex, and then going right into a squat jump with stabilization hold. And, and when you look at this program so far, so all of the stuff I just mentioned, that's not the workout. And that is what I want to emphasize. That is your warm up in a complete sense where you're now getting yourself prepared for the resistance portion of the training. So Marty, you want to talk about the resistance side? Yeah. So the key thing is now that you're, you've earned the right to get into the training right now, you'll see um, how Wendy put the program together that there's still going to be that slow control tempo. And now we're getting into the bulk of it. So standing cable chest press. So again, if we're looking at someone with a foot and ankle issue, we're not just having them stand and do a cable chest press. We're positioning their foot. We're reminding them to find a neutral arch position, neutral lumbar spine position. Then they're doing the standing cable. Basically, Wendy and I could care less about the chest press part of it. We're purposely loading the body where they have to fight that resistance as they come back against the chest press of everything that's connected to the ground from the foot and ankle all the way up. Yes, the client loves that they're doing a chest press, but honestly, that's probably the least important part for Wendy and I. So you'll see the notes there is triple extension. That's on that back leg. So um, that way their foot and ankle, then their knee and hip are all in a straight line neutral spine position. And that way now they're fighting that resistance on the chest press. Then you got a single leg cable row. Again, as soon as we go single leg, the load on the row has to be less and that's fine because we're purposely trying to target. Can they maintain their kinetic chain checkpoint with their foot on the ground in the right position? And think about how much more those muscles will have to dig in and work while they're doing the rowing motion. So again, it's slow and controlled. And obviously you would do each arm on anything that is single leg, single arm. So this one, we have single leg cable row. So if you're doing two arms, you would just switch feet back and forth. So if there's two sets, you could start first set left foot, second set right foot. And then obviously on the first exercise, you could do the first set left leg back, second leg uh, back on the second set. Then ball prone cobras are phenomenal. So you, again, you're getting that triple extension on the backside of the body, the lower body. And as you're doing that um, cobra, you're getting into that posture work, which is phenomenal. And then step up to balance. So again, as we step up, we're looking, can they maintain that position in the foot and ankle? Can they drive up through the glutes, get back into that nice, perfect posture position and pause at the top, which really makes that foot that's holding them up really work that balance component. And anytime they're on a single leg holding positions, all those little intrinsic muscles in the foot are really working hard. And those are the ones that help support that arch. So it's really, really important. And then Wendy's nice. She gives somebody their choice. So if they're going to ask for the gun show, she's going to put them on a single leg. I'm sure they didn't say single leg bicep curl, but because we're looking at foot and ankle and that stabilization phase with some corrective, She's going to be mean like always and put them on a single leg, which will force them to go slower and control, reduce the weight on the bicep curl, but 
when they're going through that much uh, tempo with that much time under uh, tension, they're going to really feel it. And once again, that is when you start to feel those muscles in your foot start to burn. And now, you know, you're getting those little intrinsic muscles fired up. Yes. And one thing too, you're going to notice where we have triple extension, <clears throat> just to reiterate that for some of our newer, <clears throat> excuse me, newer trainers, all we mean is when you're in a prone position and it says, you know, toes against the wall, you're literally going to have your foot up against the wall. You're digging your toes in between the wall and the floor of, you know, your floor. And it's kind of like you're kind of digging into that. So therefore you've got extension of the ankle, the knee and the hip. So you want to think about as a gate, when you push off, you go into triple extension. And when you're bringing your foot forward, you're going into triple flexion. So flexion of the ankle, the knee and the hip as well. So when they come up to the step up and balance, that's when triple flexion comes into play. And then when they're you know, doing anything prone or is or in the staggered stance for the chest press that Marty just said, that triple extension, you get what you train for. So why not throw in other things that are going to be very beneficial? Plus, as they're working through the dorsiflexion, you know, to get better range of motion, especially as overactivity that we're causing some of those compensations, you're really trying to get, um, you know, get your, your body to learn how to play well with the newfound length that you're hopefully gaining and strength on the weaker sides. So therefore, you're constantly working on those compensations, even though they don't know it. Accidental exercise. Yes. And then always cool down. So as you know, we're always going to go back into rolling those areas that we worked in this specific um, program, which is, you know, in phase one, you can always repeat exactly what you did in the warm up without the dynamic stretch. So you're going to go into your self myofascial technique for the lateral gastroc again, the short head of the bicep femoris and the TFL. And then you're going to statically stretch those same areas and always, always quality over quantity. And if you see compensation, then you either need to regress the exercise or reduce the weight. Well said. That, I mean, that's a great workout. It's going to challenge people more than they think. So as we get into our key takeaways, multiple joints and muscles make up uh, and control the foot and ankle complex. So again, we start maybe small, activating anterior tip or posterior tip, and then we get into our integration. And anytime you're on a single leg, doing anything, obviously there's going to be a lot of work all the way down through the kinetic chain, especially at the foot and ankle have to shockingly identify the compensation. So you can create the proper strategy to fix those movement compensations. So you have to be able to do your assessment process. And then right after that shocker, once again, when the assessments are key. Assessments are key. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then record anything that we see is not normal. Um, and there was Sorry, that went so quick. I didn't have all those memorized, but so we can go back. Well, yeah, it's just basically work go. on faulty movement patterns and don't forget to reassess. Yes. Reassess every four to six weeks. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry. All right. Now, now we'll go right to our contact information. <laughs> so, Wendy, if you if these amazing people want to find out more and reach out to you, why don't you go ahead and give me your information? Yes. If you guys want to contact me, you can email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then our amazing producer is going to put my information up there. Marty.miller at nasm.org is the email. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. Wendy, great topic. I'm sure we're going to have some follow-up questions. So as you said, we'll come back in a few weeks and answer those questions. But for all of you that joined us today, thank you so much. We hope we found it beneficial. And we look forward to seeing you on our next Master Instructor Roundtable.